Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Happy New Year! Happy New Year, everyone, and uh, welcome to Coastal. Great to have you with us this morning as we begin the new year, 2022. How many of you weren't even sure today was Sunday yet? You're just kind of in the dark, kind of figuring out days. Yeah, i kind of been feeling that way all week long. Um, I am Pastor Chris. Welcome. Those of you who are here uh, in person, as always, great to see everybody. Um, those of you who are watching online, uh, thank you for tuning in and being a part of today's service. Uh, as we begin the new year, we are kicking off a new series today uh, simply entitled The Word, The Word. And so for the next month, we are going to, for the month of January, we're going to be talking about the Bible. We're going to be talking about building your life on the Bible, why you can trust the Bible, how you apply the Bible to your life, uh, how you read and study the Bible. In fact, here's what I want to do. I want to go ahead and just cut to the chase, lay all my cards on the table today, so to speak, um, kind of just, just lay it all out and tell you exactly what I want to see happen today as a result of you being here uh, with us today. So, if you haven't already done so, I want you to sign up to read through the entire Bible with us in 2022. Uh, everybody pull out your Connect card. I'm going to bring mine up here with me. Pull up your Connect card right now. Pull it out. And right there on the back... There's a little box there It says, I'm going to read through the Bible in 2022 with my church family. So I want you to, if you haven't already done that, I want to encourage you to do that. So we are reading through, uh, it's very simple, it's called the, uh, the One Year Bible. I got a, a copy up here with me. Now, for some of you, you like to have an actual uh, hard copy, right? A, a, an actual physical book. You like to feel the pages as you turn the pages, which is great. But many of you, you know, you're used to reading online, you're used to using uh, the YouVersion Bible app. So now again, if you already have uh, like a reading plan that you're doing, you kind of systematically, you know, have a process in which you read the Bible, study the Bible, maybe you just got finished reading through uh, the one-year Bible, um, hey, keep doing what you're doing, Okay. Keep doing what you're doing. But for those of you who have never read through the Bible before, or it's been a long time, or you don't have a systematic reading plan, I want to challenge you today to join us in doing that, okay? Now, I think we still have about uh, 30 or so of these out there on the kiosk. Uh, we're we're uh, selling them for like 10 bucks. We're like losing money on them. Um, it's really just the honor system. Pick up a Bible, give however you give. We'll trust you. But I think we have about 30 left. I want to see all those gone today. But what I really want to see is people just checking that box saying, you know what? I'm going to do this. In 2022, I'm going to read through the Bible. And so today, here's what's going to happen. I want to I begin this series by talking about why I think you should do that in the first place. You know, I want to make a, a kind of a strong case for, you know, the Bible and reading through it, why you should do that, okay? Now, everybody's got an opinion about the Bible. Would you agree with that? I mean, everybody does. Everybody has an opinion. You ask people what they think about the Bible, and the range of responses is incredible, People have told me to my face they think it's a pack of lies, just a bunch of myths and made-up stuff. And then I hear other people say, 
hey, it is the hope of the world, and I can't live without it. Now, I would be curious. Uh, I, I guess I would be interested in knowing, you know, what your opinion of the Bible is. You're watching us online today. Maybe, maybe leave a little comment there. What, what is your opinion of the Bible? And, you know, positive or negative, we'd love to hear it. I'd love to get your feedback. What do you really think about this book? How serious do you take it in your everyday, daily life? Is it just nice to have around? You know, you got to, anybody grow up with a family Bible? The big, I mean to bring, we actually have one. Somebody gave us, when, when Jen and I got married uh, 34 years ago, somebody gave us a family Bible. Big, freaky picture of Jesus on the front, I don't know. Did not look like a typical Middle Eastern, you know, man at all. But still, big family Bible, right? You open it up and uh, you can put like weddings and funerals and, you know, special days. Very rarely, though, did anybody read, you know, from the family Bible. Maybe you have, maybe the Bible for you is like that. You got one. You got several copies laying around, but it's just nice to have around. Or, or is it like the very breath of your life? You can't live without it. You, you follow its teaching. It is the foundation of, of life for you. I'd be curious to hear. In fact, for those of you here in person, maybe leave us a comment today on, on your Connect card about that. Now, however you find yourself feeling about this particular book today, I think I can make a strong argument that you, you will have to admit at least one thing. The Bible is unique. Very, very unique. Now, I don't think that that is um, subjective on my part. I don't think so. Let me, let me, let's let the facts speak for themselves this morning. First of all, the Bible is unique in its composition. In its composition. It was written, get this, over a period of 1,600 years by some 40 different authors from radically different backgrounds and cultures and experiences, and yet, woven through it is this unmistakable thread of continuity. It's amazing. So first of all, it's unique in its composition. Secondly, the Bible is unique in its circulation. I don't know if you ever thought about this before or not, but it is without question the single most published book in the history of the world. Billions, billions have been printed and purchased over the years. Tens of millions continue to be sold and circulated year after year after year. You show me another book that stayed atop of the bestseller list for two or three hundred years. It is unique in its circulation. It's also unique in its translation. In its translation. I don't know if you ever thought about this. It is the single most translated book in the world. There's not even a, a close second. The Bible, the full Bible, is actually now available in some 717 different languages, giving 5.75 billion people complete access to the Scriptures in the language they understand best. The New Testament, on its own, is available in another 1,582 languages, reaching another 830 million people. Select portions and stories are available in a further 1,196 other languages spoken by 457 million people. There is literally 
an army, a full-time army of translators that are working today to make it available in more people groups. It is the most translated book in the world, the history of the world. It's also unique in its durability. Think about it. The Bible, compared to any other book, it has survived bans and burnings, ridicule, criticism. Throughout history, countless kings and rulers have tried to uh, eradicate it. And yet, it lives on. And its influence continues to spread. It has outlived its cruelest opponents. And then finally, let me say this. The Bible is also unique with respect to the effects people claim that it has on their own lives. It's unique in its effects that people claim that it has on their lives. I mean, people read all kinds of books all the time, right? All kinds of books on all kinds of subjects. Now, most of the time, uh, when they finish reading a book, what do they do? They you know, stack it on a shelf, put it in a closet, you know, maybe pull it up on their mobile device, look for another book, right? But it's different with serious Bible readers. Guess what? We never seem to finish the book, do we? We don't. You know what I'm talking about. Or if they do, they're never, never tempted to put it away for good. Rather, we start over. Or we go back over portions of it again and again and again. And every time we do, it speaks fresh into our lives. And over the course of many years of study, millions of people give witness to the fact that the information that they learned in the Bible transformed their lives, altered their view of the world, change their relationships, their values, their eternity. I mean, there's not that many books that seem to have that kind of effect on people's lives, millions and millions of people's lives. I mean, think about this for just a second. This past week, millions of busy, intelligent people across the world took time to attend some sort of Bible study or to show up at some, some type of church. Today, millions, intelligent, you know, normal people just like you showed up somewhere to hear someone teach and preach from this book. And then the vast majority of those people, guess what? Can't wait to come back and do it again next week. Now, you say, well, Pastor Chris, I'll admit it. Sure, hadn't really thought about it in those terms before. The Bible is unique. I'll, I'll give you that much. It's unique. But let's move on to a bigger question. Is the Bible accurate? I mean, more than a few people spout off about that one, don't they? Right? You know, you've probably heard them. Of course it's not accurate, right? It's, it's riddled with, with myths and mistakes. It's got nothing to do, you know, with historical fact. Have you heard those things said about the Bible? Well, if you have, 
I think you should know the truth. Number two, I want to make a case that the Bible is accurate. It's accurate. And first of all, the truth is the Bible passes something that we call the historical test. The historical test. Flying colors. It is historically accurate. Now, that is impressive if you think about it. Because the Bible makes hundreds of references to historical events and places and people. So there's plenty of opportunity for contradiction with the historical record. But there is remarkable agreement between the historical record and the biblical account. Even in the the smallest of details, like dates and geography and coinage and who was ruling when and where. In fact, in the few cases where there are there have been some contradictions between the biblical account and the historical record, archaeological discoveries have proved that time and time again that the Bible account, the biblical account, is actually the more accurate one. For example, and I could give you just scores and scores of examples. Let me just give you one. Uh, the Old Testament makes frequent frequent references um, to an enemy nation of the Israelites called the Hittites. The Hittites, right? You've you've heard of them. And um, historians, though, for years could not come up with any trace evidence of the existence of this Hittite nation. And so, naturally, uh, they question the credibility of the Bible for making, you know, reference to this group called the Hittites. Well, in 1906... An archaeological dig confirmed the existence of the Hittite nation. In fact, they unearthed the, the, the existence of the capital city of the Hittites and then these 40 other cities that make up their empire. And again, the biblical account was the more accurate account. In fact, in the last hundred years, countless, I mean scores of archaeological finds and digs have solved what once seemed to be unexplainable contradictions between the historical count and the biblical record. And it's a fascinating thing just to look into the archaeology behind the Bible and how time and time again it's proven to be accurate. Incidentally, and I just want to just kind of a little side note here, but I think it's an important one to, uh, to go on. The Book of Mormon, right? You've heard of that, the Book of Mormon? When it is subjected to the test of historical accuracy, it fails embarrassingly. The Book of Mormon actually contains the story of a vast civilization that supposedly existed right here in the Americas between approximately 600 B.C. and 400 A.D. And it records the names of tribes and cities and mountains and rivers in that civilization. And most Mormons today believe the Book of Mormon, lock, stock, and barrel. And yet, think about this for a second. Not one, not one single historian inside or outside the Mormon church has ever, ever been able to produce one single piece of artifact or evidence that would substantiate any, any of the claims of the Book of Mormon. What I'm saying is that the historical record cannot substantiate a single 
river, city, tribe, mountain mentioned in this book. Now, what does that suggest? Well, it suggests to many, including myself, that the whole work may very well be a hoax. And you confront Mormons on that point, and they'll say, well, you just got to accept it on faith. Friends, I don't know about you, but I call that blind faith. Now, the Bible was not written as a historical book. It's not written as a science book. But there are historical things that take place there. You don't discard your intellect when you're searching for the truth. There's got to be some sort of connection with reality at some point, or it really is a blind faith. Thank God the same thing can't be said about the Bible. The same indictment can't be made against the Bible. The Bible has no problem, no trouble whatsoever passing the historical test. Now, beyond being historically reliable, number two, I have found that most critics of the Bible have no idea just how much manuscript evidence there is backing up the Bible's credibility. Manuscript evidence. Here's what I mean. You know, for those of you who went to college before the first football game is, you know, played in the fall, uh, the professor assigns the, you know, the reading list, right? Freshman year, Plato, Aristotle, right? Towering intellectual giants. And uh, their, their writings have had an enormous influence on thought and philosophy over the years. But nobody questions the, uh, the content of their works, right? I mean, their reliability, their historical accuracy, you know, whether or not these writings have been, you know, passed down to us throughout the generations responsibly, or if there have been, you know, some errors that maybe have crept into their writings along the way. I mean, we just basically accept at face value these writings as being accurate representations of what the authors originally wrote. Now, did you know that there happened to be around 1,200 copies of these ancient handwritten manuscripts? About 1,200. That's pretty good, right? Sounds pretty reliable. Now, Take a guess as to how many copies of the New Testament are still in existence to be compared and studied for the purpose of determining whether or not they have been passed down to us through the generations accurately. Again, Aristotle, Plato, around 1,200. The New Testament, would you say 50? Would you guess a hundred. I mean, wouldn't it be great if there were like a thousand? A thousand. I mean, that way we could say, hey, guess what? There really is almost as much manuscript evidence, you know, as Plato and Aristotle. Friends, listen to this. There are over 25,000 existing manuscripts that help us compare and study to make sure that the information of the New Testament has come to us accurately over the years. No wonder it has been said that the Bible is without question the single best documented piece of ancient literature there is. Simply put, the Bible has no equal to manuscript documentation. And you say, okay, okay, PC, but... You know, what about the miracles? 
you know, that are recorded in the Bible. I mean, floods and arcs and whales and walks on water and healings and, and, and resurrection. How can I believe all that? Well, my response is that it just so happens that the Bible is assigned the task of recording some of the miraculous activities of God. And just because the Bible records them from time to time doesn't mean that they're, that they're made up. Besides, the miracles of the Bible, the, the miracles that the Bible records were almost all done, think about this, in public places where they were witnessed by multitudes of people, Christian and non-Christian alike. Friends, the New Testament documents were being circulated within a short enough period of time after the events themselves occurred that if the record wasn't true or if there was some sort of you know, debate about it, that you know, their accuracy, that they would have been laughed out of circulation in no time. I mean, people would have ranted and raved and eventually forced these ridiculous writings to be retracted, but that never happened. The New Testament record, records spread like wildfire. And no widespread or sustained, sustained protest of the contents was ever launched. In spite of the fact that they contained references to miracles. Now, one more point on the issue of the accuracy of the Bible. And I'll admit that this one maybe is a little bit more subjective. But I have to admit that I have found the Bible to be painfully, penetratingly accurate in what it says about me, about you, about mankind. I mean, I have never read a book that speaks so truthfully about who I really am, about what my human tendencies really are about what my nature as a man is really like. I don't know about you, but I have never read a book that cuts through the layers of my life as deeply as the Bible does. That gets to the, the root issues of my character, my relationships, my values, my decisions, my morality. I mean, listen, there have been many times I wish the Bible weren't so accurate in its appraisal of me. And here's my guess. I suspect that many people know just enough about the Bible to have developed a vested interest in steering clear of it. Because they know if they read it, it's going to speak truthfully to their condition. It will call them into account before a holy God. And it will bring up matters like sin and repentance and the judgment day and heaven and hell. And I think a lot of people today degrade the Bible, make false accusations about the Bible and argue with the Bible and stay as far away from the Bible as they can because Truthfully, they're so bent on carrying out their own plans and their own agenda that they don't want to hear a word from God. You see, it's easier to criticize the Bible 
than it is to yield yourself to it. To submit yourself to it. And allow it to speak to you. Friends, um, the Bible is unique. It is accurate historically with manuscript evidence, with the appraisal of mankind. But I think maybe this final question is the most important one. Is it inspired? Is it the book that God wrote? Or is it just a collection of stories penned by human authors? Well, first of all, you should know without apology, the Bible itself claims to be inspired. The Bible itself claims to be inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is what? What does it say? What's that next word? God breathed. Some translations use the word inspired. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And then I like how 2 Peter um, explains this process. 2 Peter 1.21, it says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as though as they were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. So men moved by the Holy Spirit recorded God's word. And and did you know that over 3,000 times in the Bible, the various writers use this expression? Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. So listen, don't let there be any mistake as to where the Bible itself stands on the question of inspiration. It boldly asserts that God guided the thoughts and the hearts of human beings to record through their individual personalities and styles exactly what he wanted them to communicate to you and to me in written form. But then, of course, some might say, okay, okay. So the Bible itself claims to be inspired. It claims to be the Word of God. Is there any proof that might back up that claim? I think there is. The first would be the evidence of fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy. Listen, because the Bible was written over a 1,600-year period, many, many of the earlier writers went out on a limb and said, under the inspiration of God, we're going to tell you what's going to happen down the road several centuries later. I actually think you could build a very convincing case for the inspiration of the Bible on this point alone, fulfilled prophecy. Now, no doubt you've heard somewhere, you know, hopefully here at Coastal just recently, that the birth of Jesus was predicted several hundred years before his arrival. It was in print. And these prophecies were incredibly detailed, like what lineage he would descend from, you know, what city he would be born in, the manner of his birth, what his ministry would be like, how he would live, how he would die, and how he would rise again. 
And, and friends, how can anyone account for all of these prophecies being fulfilled to the letter hundreds of years later, apart from admitting that God must have played a part in the authoring of these written prophecies? There's hundreds of them. You have to weigh fulfilled prophecy as, as an evidence for the inspiration of the Bible. I would also make the case and say that Jesus, Jesus himself stated over and over again that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Now, if you don't accept Jesus as being the son of God, I think you would certainly at least have to admit that he was a model of morality, right? Not given to telling lies, was a brilliant intellect. And yet it was Jesus, more than anyone else in history, who argued relentlessly for the inspiration of the Bible. In fact, he said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So as to the question of whether or not the Bible is inspired, I can only say that it claims to be. Fulfilled prophecy is strong evidence supporting that claim, and Jesus himself was entirely convinced of it. And beyond that, I want to challenge you to do something. I, I would challenge you to, to read it yourself and determine whether or not the Bible has that unmistakable ring of authority and inspiration. I would challenge you, and that's what we're doing right now, to, to get a Bible, to read it consistently, and allow God to speak to you through his book. See what effect it has on your opinion as to whether or not this book is inspired. I think you'll have enough evidence to make up your mind on whether or not this is an extraordinary spectacular book that can speak life into you, to speak truth into your life, or if it's just, you know, words on paper. Just print, you know, that you can trash anytime you want to. I, I want to tell you that if this book is unique, if it is accurate, if it is inspired, if it is God's message to you, and to this world, you better find out what he's trying to communicate to you. You know, isn't it funny or interesting or just sad that as believers, as Christ followers, I mean, we, we say we believe that this is God's word written to us, and yet we don't read it regularly. Listen. If this book is true, it says some sweeping things about you, your life, and eternity. For starters, it says that we have a destructive force in our life called sin. And it says that if you don't do something about it, it is going to plague you, it is going to wreak havoc in you, in, in your life, now, and in the life to come. And, and if you're honest with yourself, I think you're going to have to agree with the Bible at this point. 
I mean, I think if you're, if you're being truthful, if it's just you and your thoughts in the middle of the night, I think you'd have to say, hey, I have to admit it. There, there is a dark side to my life. I mean, can we all just be honest about that for just a moment? There is this dark side of our life. You know, that, that it is frighteningly easy for everyone, no matter who you are, to lie. It is incredibly tempting to cheat Given the, right, the right set of circumstances, it's easy to be cruel. We all can be self-centered without even trying. We, we can be self-willed and self-centered and not even know it. There is a force in our life that leads us to do destructive kinds of things. And the Bible goes into great detail describing how horrendous, how powerful, how sinister this force really is. And the Bible goes on to say that you can try for a lifetime to clean up your own act. I mean, just to, to deal with and to handle this self-destructive force on your own. Every year at the beginning of the new year, you could just try as you like. You know, set all the resolutions. You know, pull up yourself, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. But in the end, the Bible says it's all for nothing. In spite of your noble intentions and all your valiant efforts, you are going to discover over the course of your life that you cannot overpower or outsmart or mature beyond this disease in your life. The Bible says that the only way you're ever going to be able to overpower the force of sin in your life is to humbly turn your back on it and to turn toward Jesus in faith. To receive salvation as a gift. To receive the work of the Holy Spirit in your life that enables you and empowers you by the strength of God, by His grace to live in victory over that sinister force. But you're going to have to read about that. You're going to have to be convinced about that in your own mind and in your own heart. And then you've got to take the appropriate action, which is to come to Jesus for salvation, to ask him to be the strength of your life, your hope for eternity. And I just stand up here today, the first Sunday of 2022, and I hope and I pray that you will take God's word seriously at this point. Because if you discard this book, if you disregard what it says about you and about sin, and about salvation, you tell me what your plan B is going to be. What's your plan B? What will you build your life on? Where, how will you develop your worldview? What is going to be your foundation? What is going to be your source of truth? Now, for what it's worth... I want to tell you that I believe it personally. Not just as a pastor, not just as a teacher, 
but as a fellow human struggler. I am completely convinced of the truth of this book. I've submitted my entire life to its authority and its teaching. And I've spent most of my life attempting to follow its instructions as carefully as I can. And I want to tell you something. I have no regrets on building my life on the wisdom of this book. But I'll tell you this, I've got mountains of regrets for the times that I have disobeyed this book and paid the price. But I have no regrets about building my life on the teachings of this book. Listen, this book, this book has led me to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ where I know where I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my sins have been forgiven, that that destructive force has been broken in my life. This book has shown me how to build a marriage, how to raise my kids, how to build relationships that last, how to handle my finances, how to treat my body, how to reconcile relationships that have been bruised. This book has comforted me in sorrow. It has strengthened me in times of weakness. It has rebuked me when I've been wayward. It has confirmed me when I've been on track. This book has given me a perspective for my past, a wisdom for my present and a hope for my future. I don't know what I would do without this book. I love it. I cannot get enough of it. I submit my life to it. I respect it. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, I intend to follow it carefully for the rest of my life. Now you've got a choice. What are you going to do with it? Let me just tell you, because I am a pastor, I deal with the wreckage, and I cannot overstate this, I I deal with the wreckage of human lives because this book is violated. Because people say, I'm going to go my own way. I know better. I know what God's word says, but I think I'm smarter. I'm going I'm to follow the, the shifting, you know, sands of the culture and what other people say. Friends, after seeing, after, after years of seeing the price that people pay when they don't live by this book, it, it does, it just fires me up to want to say, to want to challenge you, please, For God's sake, for your sake, for your eternity's sake, live by this book. And so for the month ahead, we're going to keep talking about it. We're going to look into it. How do you do that? How do you study it? How do you read it? How do you apply it to your life? But step one. Make a commitment to read it. Make a commitment to read it. If you haven't already done so, listen, I hear people say, oh, Pastor Chris, I just don't have time. You have time for what's important in your life. You know, at the end of the year, get your little, uh, pull up your, your iPhone, 
you tell me how much time you spent on that phone. You know, how many shows have you binge watched this past year? You read what's important. This is important. Will you do it? 2022. Let's read through the Bible this year. And throughout the year, we're going to encourage you. We're going to talk about it. We're going to send you some information about it. We're going to do this together. It's going to be a year of the word together. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you for your word. It is uh, life-giving, life-changing. It is accurate. It is unique. It is inspired. And Father, it does. It says some sweeping things about, about humanity, about me, about the people in this room, the people who are watching and listening. It simply says that we are sinners in need of a Savior. But the good news is that one was provided. His name is Jesus, your one and only Son. He lived a perfect life. He was killed, crucified on a cross. But he proved who he was. He proved his power over sin and death, and he rose from the dead. And he is alive. And listen, if you're here today, and you're ready to put your faith and your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, do it right now. What are you waiting on? Begin 2022 and just the best way. Father, I admit it. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And today, I believe. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he went to the cross for me. I believe he rose from the dead. And today, I put my faith and my trust in him and him alone. And now, God, for the rest of my life, the rest of my life on this side of eternity, I just want to follow Jesus. I want to become more and more like you see me today, forgiven and brand new, adopted into your forever family. And Father, for those of us who are believers, who have acted very callously toward your word, have just put it aside, have not read it, studied it, memorized it, meditated on it, or followed it, Today, Father, we repent. We want to be people of the Word. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.